Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show. It is Wednesday, April 15th. Thanks for being with me here today. Day three at noon. Still getting used to this whole new time slot thing. But, uh, yeah, I'm liking coming at you in the afternoon here. Got a good show lined up today. Coming up, I'm going to be chatting with the Kamloops Voters Society. Uh, they have a few comments to make regarding the municipal budget as it relates to COVID-19. Of course, uh, City Council is going to be making some changes to the uh, pr- the budget as it stands right now. At last week's City Council meeting, uh, staff say that amendments could be made as needed, of course, because of the novel coronavirus. The city's finance director, Kathy Humphrey, made that comment to council after saying that the city has to have property tax rates set by May 15th so that property tax bills can go out on time. So Randy Sunderman, a board member with the KVS, will join me a little bit later in the hour. And and to end off today's show, I'm going to be talking about a parade. Yes, a parade that is going to be happening here today. How does that work? Well, at 7 o'clock this evening, when people are, of course, still encouraged to go out and make a whole bunch of noise in support of our doctors and nurses, well, tonight there's going to be even more to see at that time. So I'll be chatting about what is coming up at 7 o'clock tonight when it comes to a parade. Hopefully I've uh, caught your attention and you'll stick around until later on in the hour. That'll come up at the end of the show and I'll be talking about what we can expect to see here in Kamloops at that time. But... To begin today's show, I am joined on the line by the Vice President and General Manager for the Delta Hotel here in Kamloops, and he's also the Chair of the BC Hotel Association, Brian Pilbeam. Brian, thanks for doing this. Hey, my pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, so I just kind of want to start by getting a general sense of how things are going uh, with with hotels here in the province of BC. I've had a number of conversations with different people in the accommodation industry, and of course there's uh, a lot of issue with them being, most hotels really, I guess, are empty right now, and there's some other ways that they're trying to be used. But I'll just start with the overall sense of, of how is the, the hotels industry doing here in BC right now? I mean, obviously, unprecedented times, a lot of empty rooms uh, just sort of what are you hearing from the industry in general throughout the province yeah thank you well obviously you're right unprecedented times nothing like we've ever seen nor expected quite frankly uh, i think for everybody um never in our wildest dreams would we be here but i think the whole world is saying that at this point so so nothing new but definitely an industry that's been hard hit probably as hard as any uh and devastated quite frankly so the number one issue for hotel owners and operators is going to be liquidity and how do we get to the other side of this? Simply having no guests uh, or not having any guests, really. And when I'm saying zero guests, in some respects, it's literally zero. In other nights, it's one or two rooms. And the, as, a, as a norm, those hotels that are open typically are reporting single-digit occupancy. So as a percentage below 10%, um, which obviously is not enough to, to, to pay the utilities, let alone uh, employees that are working there. So um, that's been the norm. What we've seen around the province from a BC Hotel Association standpoint um, is more than 50% of all hotels in the province are now closed. And I suspect most are contemplating that. So um, whether that's in the next week, two, three, four weeks, uh, months, depending on how this goes and what our recovery starts to look like, I suspect everyone's scenario is going to be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, for some properties, you know, and, and, and some um, uh, markets, uh, you know, they'll have the, uh, the, the, the um, guests in their hotel that might be contractors or positions like electricians or perhaps it's a BC Hydro or Fortis or somebody that would be traveling, uh, commercial traffic outside of that. You know, we know places like resort communities are, 
less than two or three percent. I saw a piece on on Bath with less than three percent occupancy the other day. So it really is everywhere at this point, and um, you know I think it's just going to continue until we can really understand what the the other side looks like for everyone. Yeah, and and I also wanted to ask you too, um, just in terms of how are you know hotels maybe trying to find other ways to go about using some of the rooms. I've heard you know we've all probably heard a number of stories about how some hotels are using rooms to you know to help house the homeless so they can properly self isolate and keep them off the street. We've also heard stories of, you know, uh, healthcare workers who are getting put up in hotels, you know, if they're in close contact with uh, the novel coronavirus while they're at work, they don't want to take that home to their family. So using a hotel as a place to stay is an option as well. What what sorts of other ways are you hearing from uh, from your partners here in the hotel industry and how they're trying to come up with maybe some more creative ways to make sure that, you know, their, their rooms are not just sitting completely vacant? Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's really sort of five segments around the province that the BC Hotel Association has looked at as far as, um, you know, what that could look like. And that's, that's everything going to be from those workers that would look to isolate, um, you know, uh, patients from the hospitals that have been moved out of the hospital, perhaps, if, if capacities are stretched for the coronavirus, and, and um, that's another option. We've heard the homeless piece as well. We've heard of corporate travelers as well. And, and then finally, um, those people that are simply wanting to isolate and don't have anywhere else to go. And, and uh, so there's five sort of different segments as to which um, the hotel industry is looking at as far as unique offerings that would be there. Uh, and Camelot's would not really see much of any of those at this point. So like I mentioned before, there's a little bit of the corporate traveler uh, that would be traveling as it relates to somewhat essential business services, if you will. Um, there have been a handful of rooms in, in some of the properties around town we've seen for the, the workers uh, in the hospital and so on. And uh, we know that there's been some um, charitable uh, opportunities there, rooms, that, funds that have been raised and rooms given out, and that's been very positive, and I'm, and I'm sure everyone is appreciative of that. But the demand for that has typically been very low. Um, there hasn't been an organized effort as it relates to homeless that I know of at this point, although... Uh, I think in Vancouver, there's a lot of discussion and opportunity there, and I just am not able to, I don't know it well enough to comment to it. Um, so this state, it's really about the preparation for it all. It's about what happens if this continues or worsens. And um, I think that's what everyone is doing, is trying to, to look through their crystal ball and, and see what it looks like, and then it, we find that we can't. So what can we do to prepare? And and I mean I guess really the the majority of the reason that uh, you know most hotels are are operating at such low capacity. I mean you mentioned one there that was at less than three percent, and I'm sure they're they're usually up uh, a lot higher than that, probably closer to the ninety ninety percent range. But um, you know just in in terms of when when we're looking at probably the majority of the reason why hotels, I would think, and this is just my personal uh, perception is that people aren't traveling really right now, right? We're all stuck at home and we're not allowed to, you know, go go take trips and go do sightseeing and all that kind of stuff. But that is eventually, you would think, going to open up. Is that sort of what looks to be the logjam right now when it comes to hotels? I know obviously you mentioned, you know, there is some corporate travel still happening, although, it, you know, most companies have cut their travel budget as much as possible during these times. But uh, yeah, just in terms of that travel piece, do you think once there is somewhat of an opening of our of our economy and our um, ability to do, to, to do some recreational activities. Do you think that's going to be the, the kind of the turning point maybe for, for the hotel industry? Well, we hope so. Um, we just don't know what that will look like, I think, when we get to the other side of it. So, you know, really just to, to unpack that a little bit, here we sit on April the 14th, um, and, you know, either today or tomorrow-ish, I'm going to say, would be the first Rocky Mountaineer train that would come through. And probably 400 or so um, moon nights that would be put into our market, into into the Camelot's market that we aren't going to see right now. And we're not going to see in April, we're not going to see in May or June. And we desperately hope that we'll see something from the train come through this summer, but there's no guarantee the longer this goes, the highly 
more doubtful it's, it's going to be, quite frankly, because a lot of those customers are international travelers, and we're not seeing that likely happen at this point. So there we're going to see probably 100,000 less people come to Kamloops and, and 50,000, 60,000 roommates less for this summer. So it's a big chunk. Um, companies, you're right, uh, wherever you know people don't have to travel, they're not. Um, so there will be some essential pieces like a, a utilities perhaps or perhaps a contractor of some sort, commercial traveler. Um, that will travel, but that's a, 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 a fraction of really what it used to be. And I would suggest that the leisure traveler is simply zero. And so, you know, at this point in time, we, um, where we would typically start to see some travel for not so much the spring, but certainly into the summer, you're right. Uh, we would be into the 90% occupancies for this market in late June, July, August, September. Conferences are a big one as well. Uh, Jeff, we would typically, we had all kinds of conference business book that would fill not only our hotel rooms, but our catering space and our meeting spaces that would fill up a lot of this season, April, May, June. Those typically quiet down a little bit in July and August, but that's when we'd have things like weddings. And you know the senior games that was coming to Kamloops in August uh, has been canceled. Um, so there's a ton of different sorts of segments of the business that are just shut down and stopped. And some won't ever happen again, and, and others will hopefully be deferred until uh, later. And you know, for us, we're hopeful that that would be in the summer, um, but we just have no idea if that's the fall or any time in the next year. We hope so. And I, I think there's going to be an awful lot of pent-up demand when people do get the sort of the green light to, to travel again. We just don't know what that will look like. We don't know what people's concerns will be. We don't know what the restrictions will be uh, and, and, and where people want to go. But we think the Kamloops is well positioned to have some people from around our province uh, likely uh, come, come check us out, perhaps for the first time, because we've got an awful lot of open space here. We've got lots to do and hiking trails and different pieces that people from Vancouver, for example, may want to just get out and, and explore a little bit. And I think there will be some of that demand. And I know tourism Kamloops is counting on that and preparing for that time whenever it comes. And uh, just one more thing while I have you here, Brian, just because you kind of sure. tweaked my uh, my intrigue when you were talking about weddings and stuff like that, um, you know, just sort of the, the conferencing that would be going on in, in hotels as well. I yeah. mean, is that business that's pretty much essentially just not coming back? Because I, I know when I'm hearing a lot of people who are, you know, having their, their weddings canceled, right, because they can't have big gatherings, a lot of them are just choosing to elope or, or find an, an, an alternative way of, you know, maybe celebrating those kinds of uh, ceremonies later. But, you know, the, they're not going to be pushed off for a full year and you're not going to necessarily reschedule for that far in advance. So when you're looking at some of that business that's being lost, uh, you know, over the past month and probably over the next month when it comes to things like weddings and conferences, I mean, is that that's business that's essentially just just out the window, I'm assuming. Yeah, I think it's it's a fair assessment. I, and, you know, we do have people that are conferences in particular that are hoping to defer perhaps to the fall. And I suspect some will do that. But, um, yeah, we all know of people who either were looking to have their wedding here locally or go down to a place like Mexico or somewhere as a destination that um, aren't just going to wait another year or whenever to, to make those plans again. So may have eloped uh, and, and done a, a quiet um, a wedding, uh, you know, or, or marriage. And, and we've heard of those people, and I know those people, actually. Um, so some of it will be lost. Some, we hope, is simply deferred. Um, but we don't know what conferences or conventions or trade shows or, or weddings, quite honestly, will look like in, in the next year, I would say, you know, until we've got a, a vaccination for this, what's the comfort level going to be for people? And, you know, will it be small groups with all sorts of Zoom videos of different places in different settings? Um, you know, the world is changing and will continue to change. And, you know, we'll look to, to innovate along the way. But uh, at this point, we just simply don't know what that's going to look like. So, um, 
Yeah, it's just uh, stay tuned. It's a lot of um, a lot of what if scenarios right now, but certainly there's a lot of lost business, and I think that's the real issue right now is is um, money that's just never going to come through the doors of, of businesses, quite honestly, and and the desperate need, uh, as I said, for liquidity and and just to keep keep, keep money and business going because um, there's going to be an awful lot of people that just won't be able to continue with their businesses, whether it's in the hotel industry or restaurants or many other commercial enterprises, um, they'll just sadly um, cease to exist and, and, and become bankrupt without uh, some greater help. And I know government's working towards that, but we definitely need more. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's just a tough situation for everybody. We're all trying to work through it, and I, I think I probably end every interview now with the, with the same kind of comments, just uh, hopefully we get back to normal sooner than later, but that's all yes, I got. Indeed. So thanks, Brian. Yeah. I appreciate it. Okay, Jeff, take care. All right, that was uh, Brian Pillbeam, the chair of the BC Hotel Association, and he's also the vice president and GM for Delta here in Kamloops. Brian Pillbeam. Brian, thanks so much for your time here this afternoon. Well, let's take a quick break, and I'll be back uh, here after with more Jeff Andreas show. I'm going to be talking with the Kamloops Voter Society about some issues that they have, not issues, but maybe just some concerns when it comes to budgeting and how things might look here moving forward in this pandemic. So stick around. We'll be back with more Jeff Andreas show after this. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back in. It is the Jeff Andreas Show here at noon, and thanks so much for tuning in here with me today. Um, yeah, it is uh, the 15th, if you uh, were unaware of the date. I know a lot of people are probably sitting at home, and every day just feels like the same day. It might feel like March 45th for you right now, but it's actually April 15th. Now, the Kamloops Voter Society has put out a letter that's essentially asking our municipal government to be careful with its spending. Now, it says in this letter against the backdrop that we find the city struggling with noticeable revenue shortfalls. According to the city, Kamloops needs to come up with $3.7 million in savings to balance the budget in the event the crisis continues to the end of June. Well, here now to talk a little bit more about this letter, I'm joined on the phone by Randy Sunderman, who is a board member with the Kamloops Voter Society. Randy, thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thanks for having me, Jeff. Appreciate it. Yeah, so you, you put out this letter here yesterday, and you, you know you kind of go over a number of concerns that you have or that the Voter Society has here um, as the city is sort of going through its budget process and how COVID-19 is going to be impacting the 2020 documents. So maybe just to start, if you can kind of uh, give us a little bit of a summary here of what some of the concerns that the Voter Society has right now. Well, I think, uh, you know, the main one is the fact that, uh, you know, the city has to make some decisions on their budgets, and they've been talking about that themselves, and they, they fully acknowledge the, the predicament they are in with uh, the reduced revenues coming into the city. So, um, you know, our, our main points here are that taxpayers are also under a lot of uh, con, um, constraints right now. You know, it doesn't matter if you're in the business side or in the residential side of the tax uh, system in the city, we're facing pretty um, reduced incomes amongst a lot of people. Uh, obviously, our businesses are closed and a lot of people have been laid off. So the ability of the taxpayer to pay um, municipal taxes is uh, constrained this year. So I think that's the first thing. And then the second thing is really, um, you know, and for, for the city to move on these as quickly as they can, I know there's a lot of internal planning and stuff they have to do but certainly they have to make a decision uh, i think the longer they put it off the the greater the the um, adverse impact is going to be on the city so something that uh, can happen more quickly than later is is uh, something we'd advocate for too 
Yeah, so so what is, I guess, the message that you would have for, for council right now? I mean, you kind of talked about, um, you know, what, what the issues are when it comes to budgeting and how it is going to impact taxpayers, whether it be from the business level or the uh, individual household level, that like it's going to have uh, some sort of uh, financial cost to it. Um, but what, what I guess is your message to council right now? Is it to keep uh, the, the tax increase as, as low as possible? Or what, what is the, the message, I well, guess, that you're trying to get across? Uh, anything they can do to help the taxpayers. So I, I, the, the message is that taxpayers are not going to be able to um, pay their taxes at the same level as they have before. You know, we're seeing stories out of Vancouver where, you know, up to 25% of households are saying they're not going to be able to pay their taxes at all. So we're saying, uh, you know, the city needs to go to a zero, zero percent tax increase this year um, and, and next year as well. Um, we're looking at probably more than one year of impact here. So, you know, really plan not just year next year um, as well and, and make that move to um, support the taxpayers. And, you know, I've, I've also pointed out that other municipalities like Fort St. John have actually eliminated um, the business licensing fee for this year. Again, just trying to offer whatever support we can to um, help the taxpayers weather this storm. And I think the other piece of it, you know, the, the federal and the provincial government are coming up with programs to support people through these um, hard times. And uh, that I think the city needs to be part of that plan. Yeah, and, and in your in your letter here, I mean, you kind of went over some other examples. Uh, Fort St. John, uh, you know, has ordered a review of its operating budget for the next four years, right, amongst the impacts of COVID-19. So they're taking a very extended look at, at where things could be going here, not just in this year, not just in next year, but really yeah. even a couple years beyond that. Um, so I guess is that sort of also what you're hoping to see, too, from the city is not just planning and looking at this year and next year, but really, uh, you know, several years down the road here, because this is clearly going to be something that lingers for quite some time. Yeah, you know, and, and we have numbers out today showing our GDP uh, in Canada, uh, showing one of its biggest drops ever, if not the largest drop ever, um, between uh, February and March. Um, you know, I, I, I think uh, people need to realize, uh, and governments need to realize that, uh, you know, some of these impacts are going to last with us for some time um, afterwards, even if we are able to get back up and going in the next several months. It's, it's still um, an adverse effect that's going to take some time to work through. So I think it's prudent to uh, look ahead as to what happens next after um, the pandemic, but certainly in the middle of here, no one really knows when we're going to emerge and, and how long this is going to last. Now, when, when you're sitting around a table with your fellow members here of the Kamloops Voter Society, what, what sorts of stories are you hearing right now from other people in, in the community, just in terms of how difficult things are right now when it comes to worrying about, like, what, what was the, the approved number? I believe it was about 3% tax increase we were looking at here um, in, yeah. uh, in, in 2020. I mean, even just something that, um, you know, at the end of the day is probably only like $30, $40 a, a year to a person, right? It sounds doesn't sound like a lot off the top, but I mean, when you're compounding it with the fact that, um, you know, people are losing their jobs and uh, the you know the, the issue I always come up with is people who are on fixed income can't necessarily afford that 30 40 dollar increase what what sorts of stories are you hearing right now about people's ability to, to pay their taxes at all well you know I think the first thing is uh, some of my friends in the business community um, their income is zero right now and and they have bills right um, they're, they're still, you know, even though a lot of the landlords have been really good about helping out, and of course then, you know, you have the property owners and stuff like that who've got reduced income. So there's those people um, who, you know, running a business, paying bills, and now they have no income. And then uh, there's the other group uh, um, of people who are the workers, um, you know, their, their income is, um, you know, reduced as well. They've lost their jobs or you know, um, aren't, aren't bringing any income. So those are the stories I'm hearing. You know, there's a group of us that 
continue to work, and in my own business, I'm able to continue to work here for the next four to six weeks, um, and ho- hopefully things get back to normal sometime after that. But at some point, um, a lot of people are uh, facing constrained income. So I think that's the first thing we all have to recognize. It's not business as usual. Mm-hmm. And and speaking of uh, sort of how, how business is being impacted, and, and as we look to see how we can come out of this right is to, to stimulate the economy once once we're past this or at least start to get past this and one of the things you mentioned here in your letter was talking about you know how the chamber of commerce is advocating for the city to be spending money on projects in order to be able to get people back to work um, but there's also the concern right about when you go out and start all of these projects at once that it is again going to have a significant impact on our overall taxes and our overall 2020 budget for the city so uh, I guess is are you looking at a kind of a balance here between those two things because obviously we need to start the economy, but we also need to make sure people can afford to live in it as well. Yeah, and then, so, uh, you know, my, my point is uh, on that, deficit um, spending is, is good to stimulate the economy. And, of course, the, the provincial and the federal governments have that power. Unfortunately, the municipal level, we have uh, constraints on what we can do there. So, basically, you're just moving money from one side to the other, right, when you're um, stimulating mm-hmm. projects in a local area. And one thing with construction projects is, uh, you know, we've got to make sure that it's local employment and that they're providing local services and that. Otherwise, uh, you know, we might as well try and keep that money in the hands of our local businesses. And I think that's the real thing we have to kind of weigh when we look at some of these projects. Um, you know, one of the things I said in my letter was is if the city is able to leverage in most of the money from the federal and provincial levels, um, then that's a good idea. Let's let's move those projects forward, you know, and, and use that as a stimulus. But, um, you know, if we're not able to do that and we have to use um, city taxes or city city revenues to generate those projects, then I think it's a, it's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure those are, are conversations that are going to be had here. And I know council is going to be meeting next week uh, on Tuesday to have a little bit more conversation around their budget. So hopefully we get some of yeah. these questions answered and, and we'll see. Um, I'm sure I'll be talking with the, with the, the mayor following that. So we'll see where things go. But um, yeah, I mean, a lot of interesting points here. And I think we're all just sort of waiting and seeing how this whole thing is going to play out, Randy. Um, yep. I think that's about all I have for questions for you. Anything else that you want to add while I have you on the line here? No, I think that pretty well covers it, Jeff, and thank you for having me on the phone here today. Absolutely, and uh, maybe we can do this again in the future once we uh, have a bit of a clearer picture of where things are going. You bet. That was Randy Sunderman, board member with the Kamloops Voter Society. And, you know, as mentioned there just uh, a few moments ago, Kamloops City Council will be meeting next week on Tuesday to continue these types of conversations around what the city's finances are going to look like here uh, in the near future. And, of course, we have to worry about the long-term future as well. Uh, City Finance Director Kathy Humphrey has said that the city has to have property tax rates set by May 15th. So that's exactly one month here from today, so not a whole lot of time to make sure that that is uh, finalized, but it, it will work towards that date for sure. Um, so we'll see what happens on Tuesday. And I did have Merit CAO Scott Hildebrand on the program yesterday and just kind of to want to mold this in here because he was hoping to see property taxes deferred for some time. So, uh, yeah, just revisit this here briefly from uh, CAO of Merit Scott Hildebrand. We are in favor of, of pushing back our property taxes and residential utilities and making sure that those are pushed back into summer or even fall uh, to help out our residents. And, and I think a lot of municipalities just, you know, not just here in B.C., not just here in Canada, but everywhere are sort of trying to come up with ways uh, to help the people of their communities be able to afford to live in said communities. And I know that's happening here in Kamloops as well. Uh, City Councilor Arjun Singh was on the NL Morning News here today with Howie Reimer, and he said that he's hoping to see some direction from senior governments as well when it comes to being able to defer those property tax payments. 
Um, I think local governments, you know, they they, they um, will get to us. I think uh, is, is how I would probably frame that up. But I mean, nothing is certain. We're just we keep on having those discussions, and uh, from what I understand, they're very open discussions with us. But uh, we'll see how it kind of unfolds over the next days and weeks. Yeah. So municipalities are clearly looking to take those steps to help residents, you know, not have to pay a whole bunch of money right up right now. Uh, maybe defer those payments into the into the summer, into the fall. See see kind of where we can take things to be able to help people continue to to have a you know somewhat of a, of a healthy lifestyle right now um, and as mentioned by Scott Hildebrand as well here earlier um, you know they need to get some government direction so from direction from senior governments in order to make those kinds of decisions so yes they can like those ideas yes they can put them on the table but until they get direction to actually be allowed to do that um, you know they, they can only be nice talking points at that stage so we'll see where things go i'm sure there will be more direction coming in the not too distant future but uh, we just have to kind of wait and see what happens uh, i mean yeah when we get those answers on a local level next week maybe we'll see them and of course everything is working on a day-to-day hour-by-hour basis as uh, we all just kind of wait to, to come out of this but we're in it now and with that, of course, we need to help celebrate those that are helping to keep us safe. Of course, that includes our doctors, our nurses, our first responders, and there's a number of others on this list that I am missing. And Dawson Construction and Eagle Rock Construction, in conjunction with the BC Road Builders and Heavy Construction Association, they are set to lead an Amber Light Tribute here in Kamloops tonight to show appreciation and support for those frontline healthcare workers. I'll be talking a little bit more about that after this, so please stick around. More Jeff Andrea show coming up. Opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Wednesday, April 15th. Thanks so much for being with me. Um, of course, uh, you know, at 7 o'clock, we are still being encouraged somewhat to uh, go out and make some noise on our balconies and on the streets in support of our health care workers. And tonight, well, there's going to be a bit of an addition to that 7 o'clock uh, noise minute or whatever you wish to refer to it as. And I'm joined on the line now by Robert Koopmans, who is with the Dawson Group. Robert, how you doing here today? Doing fine. Uh, doing fine, Jeff. Like everyone's hunkered down in my house, working from home and doing the best to weather the storm. Yeah, it's, that's the same story for pretty much everyone, it feels like, these days. But uh, one okay. thing that uh, you guys do have coming up here that's uh, a bit unique is you're planning something here later this evening, a little parade of sorts starting around 7 o'clock here. So uh, I just wanted to start by getting you to, to give me some details about what this event is and, and what you guys have in store for people here. Sure. Uh, this is actually an initiative that was launched by the uh, BC Road Builders and Heavy Construction Association. Um, the organization put out to its members, we're a member, and many other construction companies are across communities, you know, communities across BC, uh, about the idea of having an Amber Light Tribute Parade to kind of recognize and uh, show support for front care healthline, or frontline healthcare workers, people who are, you know, on the front lines in our hospitals, uh, trying doing their best to keep us safe and, and healthy with the COVID virus, uh, COVID-19 virus. Mm-hmm. And of course... You're doing this at, at 7 o'clock, and we have seen the initiatives of, of people, you know, trying to get out on their balconies if they're living, you know, near a hospital, if they're in an apartment building, or even just going outside their homes and banging pots and pans. And, and you know, we've also seen the first responders who are, you know, having a bit of a uh, lighting up their, their lights and going around the hospital. So this is going to be sort of a, a nice piece that go coincides with, with that time, right? Exactly. It's the same, follows the same vein. 
I mean, people, we're all doing our part by staying apart, but at the same time, I think so many people feel a need to, to want to do something, to show some kind of support, and we can do it this way. I mean, it's a small symbolic effort. We have one driver per vehicle. Approximately 20 companies uh, in, in Canada are expected to be there tonight with a vehicle or two to join the parade. It's a small way that we can take action to show support for something that's so important. I mean, we, we all want to do something, and it's hard for us, but at least we can join in in this way and show support for frontline, frontline uh, healthcare workers who don't have a choice and have to be there to do the job that we need them to do. Mm-hmm, for sure. So what, what, what exactly is this going to look like? Can you take me through the, the route that you guys have planned right now? Sure. We planned a fairly short route. I mean, with 40, approximately 40 or 50 vehicles, we don't want to have impacts on traffic beyond, uh, we want to keep the impacts on traffic to the bare minimum. Uh, we're going to meet at the Sahali Mall up in Upper Sahali uh, just before 7 o'clock. We're going to drive down Columbia Street, and when we get to the uh, close to the hospital, and also to the uh, the, Ponder, the Ponderosa long-term care facility, I mean, I think it's important to recognize that there's healthcare workers there, too, that are also involved we'll we'll uh, slow down we'll turn on our lights we'll honk our horns uh, i expect that some of our trucks will be decorated with hearts and such as well that's been another thing we've been asking our people to do and hopefully uh, we'll be able to send a message that uh, we support them that we're grateful for what they're doing and uh, then yeah that's, that's really our, our intention just to let them know that people in camels uh, care for care about what they're doing yeah, no, and I appreciate you bringing up long-term care workers as well because we know um, often that's all we think about necessarily is hospital workers, those who are working right in the emergency rooms and things like that. But, of course, there are a lot of healthcare workers outside of that one facility, so it's important for us to remember that. And, and really, those are some of the more hard-hit places as well during this whole pandemic. Um, Robert, what, what types of vehicles are going to be involved in this? Can you maybe paint a picture of what you are imagining right now? Because when you just say vehicles, I mean, that could mean a, a whole bunch of different things. So what kinds of... Uh, what kinds of vehicles are we talking about? I mean, we're talking about construction crews here, so I'm imagining we're looking at some uh, pretty heavy-duty things that are going to be coming down the road. Yeah, I mean, I, it's a good question to see what will show up. I mean, we have quite a range of companies we've invited, so it's really hard to know. I mean, at the bare minimum, the lower, uh, the, the smaller vehicles, pickup trucks for sure, um, up to perhaps, uh, you know, dump trucks and that sort, of, uh, that sort of vehicle. I don't expect we have anything really heavy coming out because, you know, this is... Uh, this is the middle of the city, but uh, all of them will have lights. I mean, all of our vehicles are designed for uh, providing services on our public roads, so they, they are equipped with the proper safety lights and such, and we can light them up. Um, we'll probably honk our horns. Uh, we'll, we'll take advantage of the opportunity to let people know we're there. Uh, they'll be visible. They're yellow. They're very clearly marked. Uh, you know, like, like I said, we have quite a range of companies coming tonight, so it's hard to know exactly what it will look like, but it'll, it'll be noticed, uh, and I think that's the biggest or we want we want them to know that we're there. Awesome. Well, I think it's a, a really cool initiative, and uh, like I said, I know it, it kind of really coincides with a couple other things that are taking place. So uh, I really like to see that this seven o'clock time uh, time slot is just sort of getting bigger and bigger and bigger for the support it will show to our healthcare workers and our first responders. I think it's a uh, uh, you know th- well deserved, and it's I'm glad to see it picking up steam. Anything else you want to add here, Robert? While I have you on the line. Well, I want to I want to make sure people know that. Uh, while we're doing this, we are taking every effort to respect the physical distancing requirements as well. I mean, there'll be one driver per vehicle. When we muster, we'll respect the six feet uh, separations in, in distance. We'll, we're very conscious of the need to, to do our part to protect everyone as well. So we're going to be taking those important steps to make sure that safety protocol, protocols are followed and that no one puts themselves at risk. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Robert. Really do appreciate your time. Not a problem, Jeff.
That was Robert Koopman, spokesperson for Dawson Group. And once again, the parade of vehicles will get underway just before 7 o'clock this evening from Sahali Mall and travel down Columbia Street past Royal Inland Hospital to show support for our nurses, doctors, and other care workers. So uh, going to be a good sight to see, so make sure you head outside around 7 o'clock if you're near the hospital or along that route, and I think you'll be in for some interesting sights. Well... I think it's about time for me to wrap things up here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed her time while it lasted. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday, and I'll be back here tomorrow at noon.